Does anybody hate hypocrisy? Especially in other people. (laughs) Me too. I don't like it in me, and I don't always think that I have too much of it, but this week has been a reminder that I've got it. Sadly, at times, I've got it real, real bad. And I don't know if you know about the word hypocrite or hypocrisy, but it's this picture in the Greek of an actor or an actress. And honestly, all the way back in that time, it was actors that would even play females. But they would have a mask. And the mask would have a smiley face or it would have a sad face, more kind of angry, I guess, is another thing they would do with that. And they would act like they were something. They didn't want their faces to be seen, so they would put on a mask. Now, don't go getting all COVID on me on masks. Just let that application (laughs) go. (laughs) Let it go for a second, please. And just recognize that they were pretending, and we do too. And so we've talked about how Jesus said is how we're going to live. And yet it's really, really hard to do that. And so we get to, as we looked at last week, die to ourselves. Jesus said some hard things. He said some difficult things. He said some complicating things. But oftentimes the biggest challenge that we have with Jesus' teachings is that it's hard to take. It's hard to hear. Now I have to do something about it. Gosh, you guys, this is why he would say the way is hard. It is hard for all of us. And so I want to get right to it by starting with Matthew 23, 1 through 4. If you guys can join me in Matthew 23, bless you. As we are getting to it, I thank Pete ahead of time. He's asked me to help remind him what verse I'm on because I have a tendency to jump around. Here I am. Maybe it'll help keep some of you awake as well and dialed in, but I will do my best. Pete, what's that? Yeah, you want the fans on? I'll do that. There you go. You're welcome. That's our air conditioning. Anybody have the AC in their car that looks like your windows rolled down? Me too. All right. So Jesus, in this significant passage that we're only going to look at a little bit of, gives seven woes, and we're going to talk about just one of them, and then next week we'll look at another one. But there's seven different woes that he talks about, but this is how he starts the whole passage. This is how he gets at it, you guys. Matthew 23, 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds, And to his disciples. I find this really interesting, you guys, that he distinguishes between the crowds and his disciples. Why do you think he does that? Anybody have an idea? Yeah, what do you think? So so he would speak differently to each of them, right? But in this case, right, he's saying to all of them the same stuff. But you're right, he had... Like disciples, you guys remember what that means, right? It's like student, follower, an apprentice, a young Padawan learner, if you will. (laughs) That's about as geeky and 
Star Wars-y as I can get. But that's it, right? They follow him. There's some that are just listening to him. Some that go, oh, Jesus, yeah, we've heard of him. But then there's others that are disciples that follow him. If Jesus is your king, your Lord, your savior, your master, you're not part of the crowd. You're a disciple. You're a follower of his. Wherever you're at today, I'm super thankful you're here and God knows you and loves you and is going to be speaking to you. So in Jesus' name, may your ears and your eyes and your hearts be open to what he says. The scribes and the Pharisees, he says, sit on Moses' seat. What was Moses' seat? Basically, Moses was the first redeemer, if you will, the first rescuer more than redeemer of God's people. And he came with the law, and he gave it, and he enforced it as much as he could. And he's saying to them, look, the scribes, which are the lawyers, and the Pharisees, which are the spiritual big boys, they are sitting on Moses' seat. They are an example of the law and interpretation for you to listen to. So he says, do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Jesus says, they don't practice what they preach. Does anybody hate that? What do we call that? (laughs) Don't point at me, but (laughs) right? Hypocrisy. And we know we got it. We all got it. But he's saying, look, these guys know everything they're supposed to know. They sit in Moses' seat, but they don't even do what they preach. So listen to them. Do what they say, but don't do what they do. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. We just took communion, you guys. Do you know that Jesus knew that you and I had a price to pay? And we couldn't do it. And so he did. That is the perfect and the only perfect example of not just saying, here's the law and here's the problem, but lifting a finger to do something about it. Jesus did. And we get to receive him as that. Or we just go, whatever. If I told you I had a cure for wubba bubba cough, you'd be like, You did what? Same. I just made that up. But if I told you, and in this room sits my mother, who is very sick with cancer. If I told you I had a cure for most cancers, you'd be like, who are you? But if I could explain it to you, and I had doctors that were behind me on this, you would be all ears. Because every one of you has been impacted by cancer, and you know what a problem that is. We have those who are healing, those who have been healed, and those who are sick in this room right now with cancer. And if you heard that there was a cure for that, and you saw that it worked, you'd be very attentive. Jesus is the only cure for sin. But some people don't know that they've got a problem. They don't know that what he did for them was a big deal because they're fine. I'm good. I don't need nothing. But Jesus, 
He said, no, you need it. You need it all. And there's people that should be the ones that point you to the solution. And instead, what they're doing is being hypocrites. They're not lifting a finger to help. They're just shaming, putting you in a box, calling for your money and calling for your attention and calling for all these different things. But they're not even lifting a finger to help. They're not pointing you to the true solution. And if they are, they're not actually following it themselves. Not every leader does that, but many do. And many Christians, and I say that because some people call themselves Christ ones and they're not following Jesus. They're following themselves. Or they're following a, a, a tradition that puts them in a position of not just authority, but of really praise and acknowledgement. And so he's pointing these guys out like, don't do what they do. And then go down to verses 11 and 12. I love this. He's like, here's a solution for hypocrisy. The greatest among you shall be your servant. You ever get tired of serving? I'm not just talking to moms. I'm talking to all of you. (laughs) He says, if you want to be great, you'll be a servant. Jesus says in verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, before you and I get caught up in a a hypocritical trap of saying, oh, well, I, I won't make it about me, and then God will give me stuff. Like you're doing a deal with Jesus? Look, I'm humble, and I try not to point it out too much. You know that whole thing, in my humble opinion? Too late. (laughs) Don't point out that your opinion's humble if you want to be humble. You just like offer something. Here's what's really humbling about your opinion. People are either going to listen to it or they're not. You really have very little to do with how they receive your opinion. But if they don't see you living it out, you're done already. And you could say, I'm wrong, and please forgive me. Because somebody could tell you the truth, and they don't live it, and you're just like, eh, whatever, but it's still the truth, right? But if they live it out, and they walk it out, and they've been humbled by life, and you see them still praising and still following and still walking towards the Lord and still asking for forgiveness and all these different things, that tends to be more believable. But again, at the end of all of that, it's up to them whether they're going to believe it or not. Not you. So that's pretty humbling. Well, Jesus says, if you want to be great, be a servant. How did he model that for us? Anybody got a quick church answer for that? He died on the cross. God Almighty humbled himself, became a baby, grew up, became the best preacher ever, the best teacher ever, the only perfect Savior, and he died. Paid that price for us. So with that, I want to bring you to the title of today's message. Woe to you, hypocrites. Yeah, those Pharisees and scribes, bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, that guy on TV, hypocrite. That politician, hypocrite. 
that cheating husband or wife hypocrite. Can you allow yourself today with me to be the you in this statement? With the dot, dot, dot also defining us apart from Christ and apart from living for him that we are hypocrites. Not always, but enough to where this applies to us. So there's seven woes, like I said before. And the word woe is like grief. It's like alas. It's like I really, really wanted to get up early in the morning and go work out. But alas, I hit the snooze button. <laughs> or I, oh, I must have set the alarm for the afternoon. <laughs> He's like, whoa. And I know for some of you this word is, is a little troubling. And so I do apologize, but it's something that our culture fully understands. Woe is like saying, sucks to be you. Alas, woe. He gives seven of them. That's a perfect number in the Bible, and he gives a judgment with these seven woes. I'm going to go to the fourth woe. Next week, we'll look at a different woe. But this fourth one is found in Matthew 23, 23. He's given three other ones prior to this. And this is the one, and he's saying it to the scribes and the Pharisees, to the leaders that everybody will look at, and he just said, you should probably pay attention to what they say, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. They lay it on you real thick, and they don't do anything to help you figure it out. And so he says, whoa. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe, that's 10%, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. These are the herb garden. You tithe from your herb garden. I promise you this. I've been teaching about tithe and about following Jesus and doing what he says. For almost 30 years now, I've been trying to follow him. I've been trying to tithe of my life and all that. I've never, ever went to the garden, which I butcher, by the way. Sorry, love you. I'm sorry. But I've never gone there like zucchini. All right. There's five of them. How do I tithe off of five? If there is 10, that would be so much easier. I could give one zucchini to somebody who needs it. And I could keep nine for us. Some of you are very good with this kind of thing. Like, my life is not my own. Whatever I've got, flowers in my garden. I'm giving them to people. You don't even think twice about the tithing. You just want to share it. These beautiful fireworks in nature. But how many of you have been like, gosh, I've got a garden. I've got to give 10% of that garden to the Lord. Maybe some of you. These guys were so into exactly what they were supposed to do that Jesus points out what should be kind of a big deal as a woe. Why does he say woe? Why does he say this is not the best? Well, 
Pay attention really close. You tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You're really good at all this little stuff, this minute detail, and you forget the big stuff. Or you ignore it. But more than that, Jesus uses the word neglect. You know what neglect is, right? As a matter of fact, please, somebody help me understand what the word neglect means. Sorry, that was like seven of you at once, which is super rad, but ignore. ignore. Neglect. neglect? Did you define the word neglect with neglect? <laughs> uh, sounds like something I try to do. Yes, ma'am. Not taking care of it. You know the rules so much that you tithe off of your herb garden, and yet you miss the big stuff. I don't know how many of you are sitting there right now going, this is not me. But Jesus says, you should have done all of these things without neglecting the others. By the way, really quick, he is not denouncing or calling off a tithe. People have used this for years, but I don't have to give nothing. You should give from your heart as a joyful giver. But the tithe goes way before the law. It happened before the law was ever given. A tithe is giving of what the Lord has given to you. And he's saying you should do that and also focus on justice and mercy and faithfulness. This reminds me of a passage that I shared just a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to go back to it really quick. If you guys will join me in Micah 6, 8. Some of you might know this because you sang a song when you were in Sunday school or on a Sunday morning service way back in the day. But he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness. And that word in the Hebrew does mean kindness. And it means mercy, and it means loyalty, and it means a joint obligation and faithfulness, goodness, graciousness, godly actions. He's shown you what's good is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He's like, this is what God has called you to do. So much so that he points it out. And so I want to ask you to consider these three words as we read some passages that have these three words in it. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I love it in Luke 11. Luke records this woe time that he's given to these guys. And he says, love for God in the place of where faithfulness is. And it's really, really powerful. And I'm going to unpack it just a little bit. But I ask you guys, if you want to geek out, go check out more about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I'll really quickly tell you as we're turning to Exodus 34, 6 through 7, that justice is equity. Which is just a real, real 
hot button word in our culture. Uprightness. Give to each person what belongs to them. No one gets deceived and no one gets injured by another. What a perfect world that would be. And yet, God calls us to not neglect justice, but to live it out. And why? Why would he want justice to be such a big deal? If you go to Exodus 34, 6, and 7, you hear him talking about himself. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the great I am, God, is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands or a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Wow. Don't even have time to fully geek out on this, but if you were thinking, I actually haven't been iniquitous towards anybody. Uh, Maybe I have hurt somebody. Uh, I guess maybe I have. I mean, all three words mean the same thing. You missed the point. You missed the mark. You're not perfect. Well, God wants to forgive that. But by no means will he clear the guilty. How do you and I stay clear from being guilty? Jim, for this we have Jesus. The only hope we have is to be forgiven and to be paid for by Jesus and to acknowledge that we needed him to. But if we don't, we're guilty. And we will get stuck with that. You ever go out to eat with somebody and they were going to pay for it and then they do this move? My brother Jason's there. He goes, yeah, Aaron, you do that on the regular. Oh, gosh, my wallet. Maybe next time. Well, you're getting stuck with the bill if you don't receive the forgiveness of the Most High God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's like, I won't Let the guilty go unpunished. I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Oh, gosh. Some of us are like, that's why she does that. That's why he's like that. It's my fault. Yeah, and generations before. Except he shows kindness to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Those who are just like submitted, oh, okay, God, it's all you. It's all you. He wants to be just because he is. He wants to be merciful because he is. And he wants to be faithful because he is. He's not pretending like sin isn't sin. He paid for it. And then you and I have to confess that we needed him to do it. What a great, amazing deal. The only thing you have to do is admit you needed it and receive it. Somebody with me say, God, you are so good. (laughs) Amen. Some of you did. It was so beautiful. We get to be like God when we're being just and merciful and faithful. He says, and we're going to look at this a bunch in the year 2024, be holy 
as I'm holy. Some of us are like, that's impossible. That's why you need Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, let's go to what he said the most important thing was. Now, it's not Pastor John's tattoo of Mark 12. We're going to go to Matthew 22, but Mark 12 counts, so good job. But Matthew 22, 36 through 40, just a great reminder that this is constantly how he has been with justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus gets asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We talked about this a little bit ago, right? And I'm going to actually look at it in just a second in Matthew 7, 12. But Jesus links forever love for God with love for others. Why? Why? Why does he even say, and we'll go to Matthew 7, 12 really quick. Why does he say in the golden rule? Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And later on he says the law and the prophets is to love God with all that you have and love your neighbors you love yourself. Make up your mind, bro. Which one is it? It's both. Always. Always. So why? Why does he say, look, you love God and you love others? Why does he say this sums up the law and the prophets? Why is he worried if you're loving God, does it really matter how you treat people? We're immature. Oh, very good. He does. He wants us to love everybody. Is it always loving to pretend like something that's happening that's wrong isn't wrong? Is it loving to point out every single mistake? You spilled the milk! Hey, beautiful job of painting the house, but you missed one little spot right there. You guys, this is too deep to fully unpack, but can I actually, I'll let John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, I think he might have given himself that that nickname, I'm not sure. But in 1 John 4, 20 through 21, at the end of a bunch of things that he says about love, this apostle of love, this disciple whom Jesus loved, says this about those who say they love God. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, this is from Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You guys, you know that I can fake it in loving God. I can have like... It's time of worship and prayer, and I might even post it so you can see how amazing I am. I can quote the Bible. I can teach the Bible. You can pretend with that. Not 
to God, but before others. And you can actually do some good things for a while for others, and it might look like you're loving them because God told you to. But the fruit of your life, Jesus said, is going to come out. Your tree is going to be known by its fruit. Your life is going to be known by what you do. So if you're loving God this way, you're going to love him this way. And Jesus is like, I'm going to catch you on this one, okay? I want you to actually live out this justice and this mercy and this faithfulness face-to-face in your lives together. I don't want you being hypocrites. I don't want you play-acting. I don't want you to pretend. I want you to know what I say and that it makes earthly good. You know that old saying, right? Don't be so heavenly-minded that you know earthly good. It's very easy to do. James, Jesus' little brother, says, don't just tell people, God bless you, be warm and well-fed. Help them. Help them. You can't do everything, but you can do something. You remember the story of the little girls on a walk on the beach with their dad? It's just this really cool thing, and it's kind of moonlit, and the light of the moon shines on all these starfish that are on the beach. And she goes, oh, daddy, what's going to happen to those starfish? Well, if they don't make it back out in the water, they're going to die. And so she starts picking one up after the other and hucking it back into the water. He goes, what are you doing? You can't save all of them. She goes, but I can do this one and this one and this one. We get so overwhelmed that we know God calls us to make a difference, but we're like, I don't know where to start, so I'm not even going to. Start at home. Oh, man, now you're getting to meddling. I haven't even gotten started. (laughs) Here we go. There's this old preacher who passed away in 1988 named J. Vernon McGee. And I love listening to that guy. His voice sounds like this. He said one time this woman in his church was super hateful towards women who wore makeup, but especially lipstick. She said things that are so disrespectful about these women, good, godly women, but she said they look like prostitutes. And they need to stop wearing lipstick. It's gross. It's demeaning. You're doing yourself up, but you're not actually beautiful on the inside, as if she had perfect insight into these people. You know what was grosser than the lipstick? Her mouth. Her judging. There are people who know it all effectively as far as the word's concerned, but they're not very loving to the people that are in front of them. They're very judgmental. And again, we could stop right now and go, that's a real hypocrite. So glad I'm not like that. Good. Praise God. J. Vernon McGee was asked one time, same time frame, by a woman who had been talked to by this lady about her lipstick and her makeup and everything. She says, Pastor, is it wrong for me to wear makeup? And he goes, no. In fact, 
Some old barns need a little paint. (laughs) Don't think that you've got some corner on the market unless Jesus has said it. And you're actually able to help people live it out and you're living it out, setting an example, being an example. Please, don't be the judge. That's hypocritical. It's play acting. Jesus talks about like, you have a log coming out of your eye, but you see the speck in hers, and you're like, oh, you got a speck in your eye. And he's like, hey, deal with this one. Then you'll actually be able to see more clearly and help her get that out. Love God. And then love him this way, too. I must move on to the rest of what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 24. It's literally Matthew 23, chapter 24. He says, whoa, you do all this tithing from your herb garden, but you neglect justice and mercy and faithfulness. And, and let me just unpack this really quick. Mercy, assisting others with what you have. Woo. Relieve their burden by your means. Protect those who are unjustly oppressed. Give freely from what you've been given. And then faithfulness. This is integrity. Not being cunning or deceitful. This is the doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then Jesus says, after all of that, you blind guides. Why is that a problem? Just... Just really quick, can somebody smart unpack that for me? Why would a, a blind, yeah, what do you say? Hey, you're getting ready to go to college. Come on now. Oh, so if, some, if you're being guided by somebody who's blind, they're not seeing what's coming. Oh, you're smart. You're right. It's so, I mean, it just makes sense. If the guide is blind, both fall into a pit, Jesus says elsewhere. Right? So he's like, do you blind guides? Straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Some of you are like, blah, 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 blah. say what? <laughs> Straining out a gnat. If you go to Leviticus 11 and all I have up there is the title, go check it out. There's this long list of dirty animals, things that are unclean before the Lord that these amazing preachers would know. They would know so much so that there would be in their water or maybe even in their oil a gnat, which is a dirty insect. It can make you unclean. And they would strain that out. They would really focus in on the little things, like the mint garden. But they would miss the big things, like a camel. Swallowing a camel. Jesus is getting a little hyperbolic. He's maybe... Maybe a little sarcastic. He might be saying to them, look, you strain out the littlest stuff and you swallow whole a camel. You're missing the whole point, friends. Quit being hypocrites. This is a call out. And this is the fourth of seven that he calls them out on. Most of them didn't learn from it. Because they wouldn't go into Pilate's house because they didn't want to be unclean for the Passover, but they were willing to have a mock trial of Jesus, condemn him unjustly, and murder him. 
all before dinner. They were willing. And again, so we sit here and we're like, gosh, that's just, that's not how I do things. I'm not, I'm not that way, Aaron. I, I know this is for other people and I'm not trying to be a hypocrite, but I would never, ever do that. Then maybe this teaching isn't for you. But to bring it home in the next two minutes, I want to go to Ephesians 4. 26 through Ephesians 5.2. I just ask that you would hear from the Lord if there's anywhere in your life where you've been straining out the gnats, you're just super, super focused on little things that are even hard to do, but you're ignoring the big things, like you're swallowing a whole animal by ignoring the weightier things, the things like love and mercy and justice and faithfulness. Gosh, I mean, I've just seen so many of these things in my own life. And so maybe as I read for you Ephesians 4, 26 through Ephesians 5, 2, something might stand out on an area that you can shed the light on and quit swallowing the camel, quit eating something super bad. Quit being a hypocrite. Here we go. Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Don't give ground to the devil. Don't give a foothold to him. Don't give opportunity. Don't hold grudges. Maybe you've been able to pretend, but between you and God, you know you've got an anger issue that's eating you up. I wish that right off the bat that wasn't one that applied to me. I can try and justify and say, I'm not always angry. And boy, you should have saw me when I was younger. But this is one that I struggle with. And God's coming after me. And the only way I can do this is to surrender it, to be grateful, and to look for an opportunity to not be angry and sin, but to be angry and not sin and not hold it against people and actually be kind and maybe point something out, maybe go to work with somebody rather than against somebody. So here we go. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor or work, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Maybe instead of taking an extra long lunch, which is stealing, or lying about your hours, which is stealing, you do what you're supposed to do. You set an example that could offer something to somebody. Look, I know that some of you struggle so significantly financially, they're working under the table. That doesn't feel bad. That's the only way you can make it. Friend, you're stealing. And it's really easy to do. And before the Lord, it's wrong, and you're not setting the kind of example that you've been called to set. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Instead of driving people down and talking nasty and telling all the jokes, and boy, this one hits me pretty hard. Instead, build people up with your words. Don't tear them down for a joke or for authority or for one-up. 
but build people up. And how will you know what the occasion is? Maybe actually just quit talking and start listening and watching. And verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do we grieve him? Lots of different things. We ignore him is the main one that I want to look at this morning. He says, this is what you need to do. And you're like, I'll get to it next time. I should probably spend some more time with you and less time on the screen. I'll, I'll try that tomorrow. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. That's anger with an evil intent. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Some of you, this is the one that hits the hardest. There's people in your life that you can't and won't be tenderhearted to even though you yourself have been forgiven way more than you've ever had to forgive somebody else. Therefore, remember that, therefore is there for a reason, all the stuff we just read before. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Last week, we looked at the hard teaching of lay down your life, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. This is another example. So how do you move towards him? The Holy Spirit is doing something and saying something to you. I'll point out that some of you haven't confessed and repented that he's the Lord, and you're not. So get saved today. Like, acknowledge that he's the Lord. Acknowledge that you need him. Confess that he died for you, and you believe that he rose from the dead, and you will be saved. And then you get to live this out. Get to be just and merciful and faithful. Get to let go of anger. Don't take from others, but give to them. Help them. You get to build up others with your words, not tear them down. You get to forgive. And some of you, you're moving towards Jesus looks like this. Sacrifice. I don't know the specifics of what that looks like in your life, but I'm assuming that if you're in Christ that his Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, and if there's a place for you to sacrifice, then please meet Jesus there and watch him. So rather than this woe to you hypocrites being for you, you repent and you walk the way that is hard and know that Jesus has modeled that for you. So be strong and courageous and let it be contagious. Jesus is here He's real, and he's living in and through you. There's questions for you to go over with people. There's an opportunity for you. The very first one is in your own words. What is hypocrisy? And if you say, Aaron, you're right. But that's not the final word on me. And it's not the main fruit of my life, but it's there. So pray for me, and I want to pray for you. Father God, thank you so much that you are the remedy for hypocrisy Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I thank you, Jesus, that you shine your love on us and expose the areas that we need help. So may we take you at your word and thank you for this music that's telling me to be quiet. <laughs> so we trust you and we believe you and we thank you. Have your way in us, we pray in your name. Amen.